today on the lowdown, a Down syndrome podcast, Mantha French, gives us the lowdown on Down syndrome and grief. Over to you, Hannah Marla. Thanks, Danielle. Hi there, and welcome to the lowdown. I hope you're well. I'm Marla Folden, and I'm here today with my extraordinary co-host, Hina Mahmood. How are you, Hina? I'm really good. Thank you so much. I'm getting a big head with that adjective. Well, you should, because you're wonderful. <laughs> well, likewise. Uh, well, don't make me blush. Um, <laughs> today's topic is it's a bit more intense, and it can be a difficult one for many families to discuss. And we're mm. talking about grief and grieving today. This is a process that I would say many, if not all of our families go through, and it can be extremely challenging and difficult to cope with this area of life. And we're lucky today to have a wonderful expert joining us to talk about the different forms of grief and how it manifests and how we can work through the process in a healthy way. So today we're talking with Samantha, and she's a clinical counselor who works with families who've experienced various sort of difficult situations in life. And she's been working with the Lumara Grief and Loss Society since 2013, attending and facilitating at their annual bereavement camps, as well as working as a family counselor locally and specializing in children with neurodiversities. Samantha has also been an advocate for her special needs twin brother. She's a mom, she's a friend, she's a passionate professional, and she is always ready to dance. Welcome to the Lowdown, Samantha. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. We are equally excited. Yeah. We always love welcoming people that love to dance, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're our kind of people. Oh, yeah. We're here for a spontaneous <laughs> dance party. <laughs> Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. Sometime you should ask us about um, our flash mob days. They, yes. they were a time that yeah. we had here at the DSRF. Yeah. I absolutely will be asking you about yeah. that and hoping that there's recorded video. Oh, there, oh, there is. is. Lucky for you. It on Facebook the other day. So, Yeah, there certainly yeah. is. <laughs> Listeners can also probably not find that somewhere, we hope. No, no. <laughs> um, in the tradition of the lowdown, we should get into those secret questions. Are you ready for it? I am ready. Okay. First question. Um, what's a new skill that you would like to learn if time were not an object and you just, you know, had hours to spend learning something new? I would love to be a hairdresser. Oh, really? Ooh. Yes. I love so playing hard. with hair. And I just think it's so neat. What? How, how does their hair always look so good? Yeah. I know. Always. I know. There's, I a, there's a lot to the profession. There's a lot. I think it would just be so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, second question in your opinion, what is like the first thing somebody should do if they're coming to BC for the first time? Talk to a local. Mm-hmm. A local is going to give you the coolest places to eat, the coolest places mm. to go. Those little, we have such a beautiful place around here with so many hidden hikes and hidden, you know, little vistas and all these really amazing lakes and stuff. But uh, if you don't talk to a local, you'll kind of go to the normal stuff that people yeah. kind of tell you. So. Yeah, the tourist traps yeah. a little bit. Find a local, mm. get into some really neat places. Mm-hmm. Very good advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to take over for the next few questions. Um, what are you currently reading or listening to if you're an audiobook person? I just finished a super interesting book called Eleanor Oliphant is Not Okay. Ooh, great book. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I just finished it last night. Page Turner. Super, and the end. Yes. Really good. I highly recommend it. Yeah. It was very quirky and very fun and a really good read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. Great. Adding that to my list for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Question number four. What is your ideal way to spend a sunny weekend? Oh, a sunny weekend. Uh, probably a solid mix of doing everything and nothing all at the same time. <laughs> I love that. 
Yeah. So I like to, you know, have a little bit of a lazy morning and then kind of fall very quickly into manic mode and mm-hmm. do everything. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Familiar. Yeah. And then maybe bookend it with another, like, do nothing towards the end of the day. I, I enjoy Try a little to. chill time at the end of the yeah. evening, you know, put the yeah. kids to bed and, and have some friends. We have a great backyard that yeah. people can kind of sit around the fire table. And wow. uh, fortunately, people just kind of show up on Friday and Saturday nights. It's oh, lovely. lovely. It's kind of an open invite, so we just oh. sit back there, and sometimes and people, people join just us. Arrive. Yeah, it's oh, great. Great, yeah. it's great. Fire tables, they're great. Yep, so Ooh. great. Yep, yeah. exactly. Very inviting. Love it. Um, okay, final question: What is your favorite album of all time? Given my dance background, I feel like it has to be some kind of eighties, you know, Salt and Pepper, yeah. something along those lines. Actually, probably one of my favorite albums is taking me way back, and. Um, is the Moody Blues. Oh. Mm-hmm. Way back, very old school, but that takes me back to my childhood and that's kind of an easily, easy listening that I can put on and just yeah. kind of mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. go about. Mm-hmm. Great. Love it. And also, I, like, I love the salt and pepper reference too because that means you also are kind of people with the 90s <laughs> hip hop and everything. So love that's it. great. <laughs> and my eyes light up every once uh, mentions anything <laughs> hip hop or 90s related. So, um, Well, thank you so much. It was really great for our listeners to kind of get to know Samantha the person and now we can kind of get into our topic as well. Um, let's start at the beginning. Can you explain what grief is and how it might be experienced by a person or a family. So before I answer that, um, I'd actually just like to kind of give everyone here who's listening permission. We are going to be talking about some pretty heavy stuff today and grief and loss can be triggering for everybody. So I really just encourage you as you listen to this or afterwards that you're really gentle with yourself and kind of take time to, uh, if you need it, stop the podcast at any point in time, uh, stop listening altogether come back to us. And afterwards, you know, whatever you need, give yourself a little extra special attention today if you feel like you need it. So a lot of people think grief is a really, really heavy topic. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reality is, is that in everyone's life, pretty much everyone you know will experience grief in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's amazing because a lot of people are very afraid of grief. So grief is essentially a loss of something. It may be a person, it may be a job, it may be an ideal or something that you had uh, in your mind that was going to happen and then didn't. Mm -hmm. But essentially it's anything that you had a very strong connection to that has now ended. Mm -hmm. So it looks very different in a lot of ways. A lot of people just think that it's all in your mind, but actually what we know about grief and loss is that you often experience it a lot in your body. Mm-hmm. It comes out in your body. Mm-hmm. You experience it physiologically, emotionally, cognitively, and behaviorally. Mm-hmm. So it kind of impacts you in all the different ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that it's um, it can be recurring too, right? So you feel like you're Absolutely. kind of dealing with it, but then it kind of comes out of nowhere. And I find that that's one of the challenging things about grief as well. It can just come out of nowhere. So one of the things that we say is that grief is a lifelong process. And it really is, especially when you've lost a person who's very close to you Mm -hmm. or someone that has a lot of meaning to you. Um, Because throughout your life, if that person or that situation kind of props up from time to time, it's going to be a reminder and it's going to kind of 
re-trigger a little bit of that loss mm -hmm. for you, depending on how you've dealt with it and gone through your process. Um, it's not always going to look the same throughout your life. And that's one thing that I think people are really worried about is in the initial phase of grief where it feels really, really heavy and really, really hard, they're worried that it's going to be like that for the rest of their life. Yeah. Um, but it is a lifelong process and something that you carry with you. Uh, one thing I always like to say is, you know, especially for when it's a person, for mm -hmm. example, you love that person in life. Why would you want to forget them in death? Mm -hmm. You want to love them throughout the rest of your life and remember them throughout the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure later in this podcast, we'll talk a little bit more about how you can do that in a kind of a healthy manner to kind of mm -hmm. make it not so heavy throughout Absolutely. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, for something complex, so kind of bringing it back to our listeners and our families at the DSRF and, mm -hmm. um, and all over the world, for something complex like getting that initial diagnosis of Down syndrome... That's, a, like you said, yeah, there's griefs come in different forms. That Absolutely. is a form of grief. Yes. Um, so what might grief be like in that instance? Usually that's an example of where you had an expected life for yourself, for mm -hmm. your child, mm -hmm. and then all of that is now going to look different. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much that you stop having a life for yourself or your child. You don't. Mm -hmm. You still do that. But it's now going to look a little bit different and what you imagined is no longer going to be the case. Mm -hmm. So that can often be something where we see a lot of anger mm -hmm. around that. There's definitely some sadness with it, um, but there's usually a lot of anger. Sometimes we see a lot of body reactions in that with a little bit of withdrawing or numbness. Mm -hmm. That's something that we see a lot in that type of situation. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of advocacy. Yeah. That's something we see a lot of in that type of situation is mm -hmm. people moving into that place of sadness and loss for what they thought was going to be the case and then moving into a place of advocacy and kind of turning it around and saying, I, I have some control here in what I can mm -hmm. do and finding resources mm -hmm. and supports and education and probably people like you guys to kind of help them through that process and know what to expect and, and what to work through and what they can do and how mm -hmm. they can help. Mm -hmm. And then focusing on their individual child uh, to make their life the best that they can. Mm -hmm. Does it... It, would you describe it as one of the sorts of anticipatory grief where you've planned, you know, and maybe the level of detail is going to be different for everyone, but there's an expectation and an yep. anticipation of we're going to, you know, there might be some highlight, there's a mental highlight reel of we're going to do this as a family. We're going to do that as a family. Absolutely. And like, I can picture it and it's going to be fantastic. It's going to look like this. Mm -hmm. And then that gets taken away mm -hmm. with a diagnosis. And yep. I think, in large part, that's why that diagnosis conversation stays with people for a very long time, if not forever, mm -hmm. because that is the moment when the plan exits the room. Um, is that a form of anticipation? Absolutely. Grief? Yeah. And you're starting over again, mm -hmm. right? You've, you've kind of lost your ground, you've lost your foot, and now you've got to kind of figure out this new terrain. Mm -hmm. So, one of the things that we've actually seen a lot with a lot of these diagnoses that's been really interesting is that back in the day when you received a diagnosis, it was more an example of the parent saying, or the caregiver, yeah. whoever that is, mm -hmm. um, kind of saying, okay, I need to kind of get this child to a place because the likelihood is, is that the life expectancy isn't going to be that great. Mm -hmm. So they're also anticipating their own loss mm -hmm. with the knowledge of this diagnosis. 
in recent times, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. And what we're actually seeing is some precipitory grief from caregivers about, okay, I've got this diagnosis. What's going to happen to this child when I am gone? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's very much turned around and it's very much changing with the times, which has been really interesting mm-hmm. because people are essentially getting this diagnosis and thinking 30 years, 50 years, yep. 60 years ahead mm-hmm. of their time. When usually we think, you know, a little bit closer to that. We think, you know, like five, 10 years ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that anticipatory grief, a lot of people think that if you anticipate it, it won't hurt as much. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I fall into that camp for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. You think Planning that if ahead. you know what's going to happen, you're prepared for it, it, you've yeah. done all this stuff, mm-hmm. it's not going to hurt. Mm-hmm. I'm all for planning. I am. I think planning is a wonderful thing. I think setting everyone up, I think front loading is a wonderful piece, especially when you're dealing with someone who has some developmental milestones that are a little bit different mm-hmm. than the neurotypical. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they're not going to go through that process. And I think that that's a misconception with anticipatory grief is that if you just prepare, it won't happen. Yeah. If you research the heck out of it, it'll exactly. be yeah. not exactly. a problem anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. yeah. if you're doing all the work ahead of time, you're getting a sense of control over it. But yeah. I think no and I surprises. Think yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think when you talked earlier about the physiological response to grief, I think in my personal experience, I found that very like you'll know something's going to happen, but your body is like, no, no, I'm going to process it in a completely different way. Absolutely. And you're just like, oh, it wasn't all the control that I had has gone down the drain because my body is like reacting in a completely different way. So. Absolutely. And grief is one of the most, just in regards to that, Hina, it's so interesting because with a lot of things, when you're treating them, you're treating the biological body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With grief, you're not. With grief, you're treating the developmental age. And so that is a really different way when we approach grief Mm -hmm. because you might have someone who's 35 who's functioning maybe a little bit at a lower level, maybe 15. And so you're actually meeting that 15-year-old in their loss Mm -hmm. instead of that Mm -hmm. 35-year-old. Now, there's a lot of variations there, a lot. And that, you know, but it's a a very interesting way to kind of approach it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, we'll definitely get into that component as well, because I think it's really interesting in terms of how whatever developmental level you're at and how people process grief, depending mm-hmm. on where they're at. So we'll definitely dive into that. But can you talk a little bit about this? Leads us really nicely into our next question about the sort of mechanisms that people may subconsciously used to process grief. So, you know, we've all heard the terms in popular culture of like, you know, um, avoidance, deflection, minimization. So would you like to walk us through a few of those? The wonderful seven stages of grief. Yes. Um, So when it comes to how to process that grief, we're still very much learning a lot Mm -hmm. about that because we started out with this very biological model of you're going to go through these steps in this order. And we very quickly realized that that isn't actually the case, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Uh, So all that lovely research that we've done, unfortunately didn't prepare us properly for that. Um, It is very common to go through certain emotions such as sadness, anger, bargaining, and then kind of moving into an acknowledgement and an acceptance phase it doesn't often go in that order Mm -hmm. and it doesn't often stay in that order. And that's one of the things that we see is that people will sometimes stay in an angry place for quite some time 
or they might stay in a very sad place for quite some time and then they'll start to move out of it and kind of come back down. Mm-hmm. I like to talk about it a little bit, um, it, it, kind of like a, a meadow, mm-hmm. right? You can be walking through the meadow and there's tall grass. You don't necessarily know. Sometimes you're walking through the flowers. Sometimes you're just walking through grass. Sometimes there's something under that grass that you step in and you're, you're a little bit stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, and you kind of go up and down and then sometimes you get out of that muck and you keep walking and it's still in your foot though. Mm-hmm. And then it dries and then you wash it off and then you keep going. And you will constantly be kind of in that ebb, that flow, mm-hmm. that up, that down. And it will change, especially in the first year. It's very, very common for you to kind of go through all those different phases many times. Mm-hmm. 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 And I think certainly here we see people using a lot of strategies to try and manage their grief. Um, And like, personally, I definitely fall into the intellectualization group where I am going to look up 45 articles about, I'm going to read them all. I'm going to try and figure out and anticipate all the things that could go wrong and maybe Mm -hmm. try and prevent some of them from happening. But at least then I understand it a bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do sometimes see families, especially when their children are young, Mm -hmm. sort of minimizing. Yep. Um, how different their life is going to be with their child Mm -hmm. and, you know, what the challenges ahead might be. And we approach that compassionately. We understand what's happening there. Um, Sometimes, sometimes people get really mad at us. Mm -hmm. um, And we try and understand that to be a deflection of, you know, we're the messenger of news that they didn't necessarily want or in that moment, you know, they couldn't handle more. Yeah. You're kind of challenging their autonomy and what they know at that point in place. And that's scary. They can control. Yeah. Yeah. That's really scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And usually when we're scared, we act out in anger because we want to protect ourselves. Right. It's a protection mechanism. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. And I know that kind of going off of what Marlo was saying as well, that, you know, a lot of our families say to us that, you know, because a lot of our um, students will have an additional diagnosis on top of Down syndrome. So yeah. it's like, okay, we've grieved the loss of one. Like, we've yeah. grieved that so Down syndrome. So it's just like that perpetuation of that can be a lot to, mm-hmm. to control. Definitely. To, to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Constant, like, okay, we just got our footing. Now the rug's been pulled out from underneath again, us again. Right? Definitely. So yeah. that, that can be just, it's just like layer on top of layer on top of layer. And then you're like, okay, where do I, how do I get out of this hole? So. Mm-hmm. And society-wise, we have this idea, especially when it comes to loss and any, really any type of negative stimulus in any way, shape, or yeah. form. Let it go. Yeah. Get over it. Yeah. As and if anybody could. I as mean, if honestly. anybody could. <laughs> and not only that, but this is actually my life. Or right. one of my other favorites is uh, at least you know. At least mm. you can. And I like mm. to think that anything with an at least is. Yeah. Unhelpful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At best. Yes. <laughs> not great. No. Um, yeah. And so we do. I find that a lot of that too is that people will, especially when they're getting a diagnosis, like, oh, well, at least you know now when you can do something. That's not always the case. It still doesn't change the fact yeah, that your I can, yeah. your day to day, you still have your day to day that you have to do and it's still a struggle. Mm-hmm. Well, just like that do something is very heavy. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot to do. And like, oh. how do you even process your brain around Absolutely. that? Right. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah I think it's exceptionally challenging. And some of those at least statements, I think come from, they come from well-intentioned people who Definitely. don't understand or are in their own grief process and they don't know what's wrong with mm-hmm. their child and they've pinned all their hopes on finding out that information. And so that's where the at least 
comes right. from. And they're trying to make you feel better. They're trying to say, Minimize hey, it. they're trying to give you some hope there. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, it, it tends to feel yeah. a little bit the opposite. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Um, let's talk about grief from another angle. Sure. So one of the most challenging things to grapple with are the changes that a family might notice. Um, in their relationship um, to like their their parent social mm-hmm. circle, right? Mm-hmm. So if friends of the family also have kids um, and those children are developing more typically, mm-hmm. this can be really a painful reminder mm-hmm. of the differences um, and can lead to, you know, isolation and withdrawal. Um, what are your thoughts on on how to go about this aspect of grief? That's a really great question because I think that that's one of the main things is that, you know, you all have these kids that are all two and then three and then four. Mm -hmm. And then there starts to be a bit of a difference there. And Mm -hmm. and I think that there's a piece that we have around teaching. And I mean, I'm speaking from my own personal experience from having a a twin brother who's got special needs. And so Mm -hmm. kind of living through that to a point, um, myself being the the neurotypical kid and my mm-hmm. brother being the one that mm-hmm. um had some special needs and I had to figure out how to take him everywhere with me mm. be his caregiver and his sister and still be my developmental age mm-hmm. um as well as watching my parents trying to figure out how to do sports and how to do family functions and how to set him up for success and me up for success at exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very challenging thing for a family to go through. And I think that what really comes down to in that case is really finding your tribe, finding the people that are going to accept your family for what it is, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. wanting to be a support and wanting to help you mm-hmm. in those things. Usually that's a small tribe. Mm-hmm. It's not very big and that can be really difficult um, but I think that that's where we really look at, you know, quality over quantity in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that there is something to be said for front loading your kids and kind of being an advocate for them out in that community. I think a lot of people really don't want to limit themselves as a family and say, oh, I have to, I have to stay home or mm-hmm. I have to do this or I have to do that. Um, and hopefully if the people around you are supportive of you, they'll be supportive of the fact that you're going to kind of champion that. Mm-hmm. 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 And, you know, one of the things that strikes me as really hard about what you've just said is that adults often don't expect to have to change their social circle. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. You kind of, you're like, well, I'm in my twenties, thirties, forties, whatever. And like, I have my friend group yeah. and I'm not planning yeah. on switching that. Right. Exactly. And then these kind of changes happen and it's a, it's a whole other unexpected big shift. That's hard. It's hard to make friends no matter what age you are and what your circumstances. And it's much harder to have few sort of fewer people to choose from. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Friend circle and even within families, like family dynamics and structures can Mm -hmm. change with something like this, right? Like relationships can change with your significant other or whatever mm-hmm. for the good or for or for not or for the not yeah. right so it's yeah and, mm-hmm. and the stress that comes with having someone in your family who has special needs and having to kind of cater to that while still being a family function yeah and you have generational aspects you know i always remember my grandfather mm. saying all the time oh he's getting better right <laughs> yeah which like you know and we were like this hope about he's not sick right exactly you know he's yeah. not sick yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And depending on 
the coping strategies that families use. Sometimes the coping strategies themselves are at odds with each other. Absolutely. I've talked with families who are heavily grieving and, you know, one person really wants to share openly and widely with the people they know and talk through all of the details because that's how they process it. And the other person doesn't want to talk at all. They don't want to, they're not there. Right. And so that creates this point of contention between the two people who ideally would be on the same team um, and be able to go forward together. And that is also unexpected and hard because people don't anticipate getting into Mm -hmm. those situations. I think that that's probably one of the most difficult areas that I deal with when I'm dealing with families who are grieving as a family unit is Mm -hmm. trying to let them understand that everyone goes through their own process individually Mm -hmm. and it's not wrong. Mm -hmm. It's okay Mm -hmm. for this person to want to talk openly and this person to want to be quiet. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to respect the different grieving styles. It is. But yeah. it is a v- yeah. it's very, very hard to do that. And yeah. I don't think people give enough credit to how hard it is. Because when you're in yours, that's it feels it's like that's the whole yeah. world. Like you kind of look outside and you go, oh, the world is still moving around me? How is that, how is that happening? Mm-hmm. Don't oh, yeah. they know I'm what's happening in guilty here? Guilty of that 100% personally where I'm just like, I'm in this stage. How can you have moved on already? And, it, right? and I rationalize. I try to tell myself like everyone does it differently. But saying it and feeling, feeling it, it are so different. Right? There's a so, big disconnect there. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. It's very hard. And especially when you're grieving, you are still at the same time trying to be a functioning member of society, mm-hmm. a parent, you still have to go to work mm-hmm. as you're going through this struggle. So you don't really have the time to just sit and struggle. Right. You still and have to, you have to make adult. joint decisions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sometimes call, you know, care decisions, really big things. Yeah. Um, and that I think we're sensitive to that in these jobs. Sometimes parents come in and just cry because yeah. they feel like they're shouldering everything on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have seen, you know, relationships between the parents not last um, yeah. before because it becomes such a point of of contention. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's talk about how to grieve in a way that gives space to yourself and others. Is are there ways? It's hard. So are there ways to there, make that slightly easier? <laughs> that really depends on who you're with. Mm-hmm. I mean, allowing, it's like, like you said, Hannah, it's very easy to say, oh, you can grieve the way you want to, and I can grieve the way I want to. But then to actually put that in action, mm-hmm. you really have to kind of accept and own it and say, this is actually what I'm going to do and not have the expectation that it's going to be different. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard. Mm-hmm. The likelihood is, is that there's going to be pain points throughout that process, no matter how accepting you are. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how aware you are, Mm -hmm. you're still feeling what you are feeling and you're allowed to do that too. Mm -hmm. We often think that we have to, you know, kind of give in to someone else so that we make it easier because we can control ourselves. So if we can control ourselves and we can give in to the other person, it will be easier. But then we're left feeling depleted. Mm -hmm. So it's a balance, to be honest, about doing just that, balancing your own needs, taking Mm -hmm. the time that you need for your times and then balancing your partner's needs or the other caregiver or the child, whoever it is that's that's in that kind of family unit with you, um, and balancing their needs and prioritizing. Mm-hmm. You know, 
if you go to support groups to say, well, you're the priority, you have to put your mask on before you can help mm -hmm. your child. And then they'll say, the child is the most important. You have to tend to their needs so that they can regulate with you. Mm. Well, here's the thing is that in this type of situation, no one's a priority. Everyone's a priority. And it really is about kind of taking the time to kind of puddle jump between when when one needs precedence and one doesn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, it's hard. I'm afraid there's no easy solution. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't to expect managing there to be. All that. It's hard. I yeah. wish it's there hard. Was. And I, I feel like it, maybe also just putting, we had this discussion the other day, Marla and I, that there is a, like maybe, like you said, rely on your village, but your village can also expand a little bit Absolutely. and get someone like a Samantha in your life totally. to like, to go out. And I think there's stigma around those kind of things, like counseling and everything. So it's big time getting over that hurdle too, being like, yeah. okay, maybe I can do it on my own. I need that objective, that other person mm -hmm. to come in and yeah. guide me through the process. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And another thing that I will say is get it out of your body. This is the counselor coming out of me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're feeling that angst, when you're feeling that anger in your chest or wherever it is that you feel it in your body, go do something, what I like to call, and I'm doing quotations here, healthy, angry, mm. you know, go for a run, go chop wood, Mm -hmm. Go to an axe throwing event and really allow yourself to feel all that stuff in that moment and get that angry energy out of your body. We always think we should push it down. We always think we should go and do yoga. We should go and do calm mm -hmm. things. And we should, right? Mm -hmm. We should do those things. But we should also, when we're angry, allow yourself to be angry. It's just as valid an emotion as your sadness, as your fear, right? All those things come out. And so I find that if we do target our expression to the emotion that we're feeling, we do have a little bit more success in feeling a little bit more stable around it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can think of many activities that require that kind of force. Yes. For some reason, rowing comes to oh, mind. Oh yeah, absolutely. Rowing, mm -hmm. dancing to the certain kinds, not your lyrical dancing, but your <laughs> other kinds of dancing, oh, hip yeah. hop, some yeah. of those come yeah. to mind yeah. as... Yeah helpful, helpful tools. Is there something to be said for finding other people? Because the, the community of people with Down syndrome, there's a lot of people in the community. Yep. Um, is it worth the time to try and find people who are grieving like you are? So the other people who also really want to talk about it, the yes. other people who just want to sit and not talk about it mm -hmm. and both being valid and finding people who are going through it in a similar way, even if it's not in your own house. Absolutely. Yeah, I do find that finding, and that's the thing is that when you get a diagnosis, it is a different form of grief. Mm -hmm. And then when you have like a person loss, for example, um, or in the situation of, of having a diagnosis where that, that loss comes with that too, if you find someone who can help you through the grief process, grief is very different because there's actually no fix for it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. if you have a stomach bug, you can take some gravel. If you have... A lot in a lot of situations, you can do something about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. For grief and loss, it happened. There's no actual fix. There's no easy thing to fix it. It's one of those things that you have to process through and have to acclimate into your life, mm -hmm. into your world. And so, mm -hmm. it's a lot of people are looking for that. I need this feeling to go away. Mm -hmm. I need that to stop. And so, that's something mm -hmm. that that's why we talk a lot about that mind body connection mm -hmm. and really finding ways to hit all those points. So finding a connection of people who are grieving and having a group that you can actually go there and people aren't looking at you like you're crazy or saying at least. 
mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. finding those people who get it mm-hmm. and it's not hard mm-hmm. to be in that place. Right. For once. <laughs> for, well, exactly. Exactly. Um, the length, I think the length of the process of grief, it, well, it's forever, um, but there mm-hmm. are certain times that we regularly see our families struggle more. Definitely. And one of those is school entry yeah. and school change. And like we kind of describe it as re-grieving. Yep. And I think because it brings into such stark relief and contrast what what other kids, quote unquote, are doing. Now, we, we may all make assumptions about other kids and what they are and are not doing and with what degrees of challenge. Um, but it looks like other kids are, you know, sailing through life. Yeah. It's so easy. And here's my Do kid and they're more. starting kindergarten. And wow, we're already stressed. We're already worried. It's already hard. We have, you know, 15 more people on the team than we really want to have there. We have, or my know, child can't go to school because of X and Y and Z. Right. Yeah. We yeah. can't even go. Yeah. You know, we don't have enough of the supports that we know work for our kid, but they can't provide it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know what would help and it's not happening. Yeah. Um, and so these kind of re-triggering points yeah. happen um, with some regularity, I would say. Or yeah. like, let's say there's a good school year and everything settles and then the next school year is different mm-hmm. and yep. it starts all over again. And it's it's traumatic for families. They Very really traumatic. Yeah, that's the only thing I can say about it is it's very traumatic. Um, are there tools or things that are helpful or is it easier in any way to just allow yourself space to grieve because those things do come up and happen? Please do allow yourself space for that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because one thing we know about life is that we will always be presented with challenges. Mm-hmm. In this situation, there's more challenges than than the average bear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that allowing yourself that space and allowing yourself the time to process through that and recognize that this is going to be a difficult time, a difficult place and something that you will move through. Mm-hmm. But you can employ those skills that you know work. You can really advocate for your child. And sometimes... It takes a really long time to get the result that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And it's really unfortunate that that has to be the way it is because, you know, these parents, these caregivers, they are the professionals of their children. Mm-hmm. They know yeah. what their kids need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not being able to listen to and kind of have to keep fighting that fight over and yeah. over and over. It is a repetitive form yeah. of re-traumatization yeah. in that regard. I'm so happy you said that. Yeah. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I know that we have families where the advocacy itself, as much of it as you're using it to deal with your grief, it is sometimes adding more to it. It's because exhausting. it's like you're constantly hitting mm-hmm. a wall. And we know families right away that are going through that all the time. And it's just like, when does it end, right? Like it's this constant barrage of stuff that yeah. they're facing up against. So. And mm-hmm. it'll be good for a while and then you got to mm-hmm. advocate again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, school is a very difficult time. I think especially because you, like you said, every year you don't know what you're going to get. You had a great worker that was with your kid and they, Mm. it was such a good relationship and then they got moved to another school or they got moved to another kid or now they're only doing half time with them. And then of course you start to see those behaviors come out. Um, They have a different teacher almost every year. Yeah. And that is a whole different classroom. All these environmental things that greatly impact our kids in this regard we have to do every single year. So I think summertime, a lot of people look forward to summer. I think a lot of people who have children with special needs sit there and say, 
okay, this isn't really a break for me because I'm already worried for what's going to happen in mm-hmm. September. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely would say, please give yourself the space to work through that hard time, reconnecting with the people that you know can support you through that, and then kind of putting back on that hat, mm-hmm. kind of going through the motion, and then hopefully it, it gets easier. I mean, every time you do it, I think you learn something. You learn a little trick, you learn a little tool, even if it's just for yourself or for your kid that helps them or you or a way to get your results faster, whatever it is that the needs are in that moment. Um, But reconnecting with your support groups, I think, is a very important piece. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about empathic strain, Mm -hmm. um, which used to be called compassion fatigue um, or caregiver burnout? And my understanding of it is when you know what's morally right, and you, it's not within your control to mm-hmm. affect that change that's necessary. And our families are in that position a lot. They know mm-hmm. what would be the best thing. And it's a certain kind of grief because you're powerless in it. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? You know, I absolutely love empathic strain um, and the conversation around it because the reason that you have empathic strain is because you care so much, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people just think, oh, I do a job, I'm burnt out. That's not quite the case. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say, oh, if I just take a break, mm-hmm. then I'll, I'll lose my burnout and I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. That is not how that works. You know, you love these, these people. You love the work that you do. And that's why you do it in a lot of these cases. Mm-hmm. And so empathic strain happens, like you said, when you are actually invested in something. And then mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have the power to change it. So that invest piece is really important because it's about reconnecting to that invested piece without the part that's causing the strain. Mm -hmm. Now, (laughs) that sounds so simple, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes. Absolutely (laughs) not. Uh, Yeah. It's, again, with that empathic strain, what we know about it is that it's about reconnecting to the people that you know can support you through it. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want to lose that empathic piece. And that's what a lot of people think they do is that if I just don't go back and I don't do it, which is not a possibility for our families, yeah, mm-hmm, right? No. In a job, that's a different scenario. You can't yeah. opt out of being a parent. Mm-hmm. Just, just the yeah. way, you know? So you have to reconnect back to that and try to find new ways to reduce that strain and have mm-hmm. people who can help you in that regard. Because the reality is, is that especially in this type of environment, it's, society tells us we can do it all. You need help, folks. Mm -hmm. We all need help. We all need help sometimes. We don't need help all the time. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we really do need help. Mm -hmm. And to really kind of engage in that Mm -hmm. and reconnect back to that. I think one of the healthiest things from my perspective that I see families do is prioritizing their own parental child relationship over Mm -hmm. performance Mm -hmm. or meeting, you know, other determined goals. I love that. Yeah. Right. Which is you're emotionally invested in your child and let that be the thing rather than we're going to achieve this level of reading or speaking or independence or whatever. Um, Because if those things are causing you that degree of grief and stress, then it's, it's an unsustainable kind of thing. And we see families really get into exceptionally challenging places where we are concerned for their immediate well-being. Mm -hmm. 
they're so stressed. It's such a hard place to get to as well, mm-hmm. too, because they're constantly thinking, especially if you're of a school-aged kid, right? Like, or even preschool, like you're thinking about, like, I need to get them ready for school. I need them to be toilet trained. I need this. I need that. Because society is telling me that my kid needs to be able to do these things. Achieve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then you lose sight of the fact that all those things that you want to teach your kid depend on the relationship that you have with your kid. So then you're just kind of like stuck. And mm-hmm. Marla's absolutely right. There's so many instances where we have families where we're just like, you need to take care of yourself first because mm-hmm. it's it's very hard for them to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the dreaded should. Yeah. I should have this. I should do that. Yeah. Shouldn't I be doing this? If the word should is anywhere in any of those statements, it's not coming from you. Mm-hmm. Right? Same with mm-hmm. the ifs. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if we do this, that's not coming from you. Mm-hmm. Come back to base camp. Come back to what you know. Come back to where you're safe. Come back to where all of you are safe, your child, yourself, to give yourself, again, that opportunity to reconnect to what's really important to you mm-hmm. and then kind of go from there. Because the reality is that if you hold your boundary long enough, people will usually stop trying to step over it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If you hold it long enough. And unfortunately, we think we have to, People please in a lot of cases, especially when we're advocating, because when you start standing up for yourself, you become the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And when you start standing up for your kid, you become the bad guy Mm -hmm. when really you're not, you're not the bad guy. You're just going against what someone else wants you to do. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a, it's that constant power control kind of dichotomy that's happening. So I, I absolutely agree with you, you know, come back to your home base, come back to your base camp, come reconnect as a family. Because all of this is relational. If you don't have the relationship, you don't have anything to jump from. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And we do, we try and explain to families that caring for their loved one is a marathon. It really is. And not a sprint. And so trying to, you know, get things done on a certain timeline and achieve a set number of goals before a certain point like school entry, for example, Mm -hmm. um, is, is a fast road to burning out. It really, it, we see we see the relationship suffer between the parent and child often, and the child, the children don't like to be pushed that much, right? And they can yeah. do what they can do on the timeline they can do it, yeah. and we can help them, but we can't force it to go faster. We can't undo having Down syndrome is yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and also being at home and coming back to that base camp can sometimes be overwhelming because then that mm-hmm. means that they have to actually have that vulnerability yeah. and that empathy yeah. and be able to kind of meet those emotions. And that can be really scary yeah. if you're mm-hmm. not in a place where you're ready for that. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, be gentle with yourself mm-hmm. around where you are too. It's okay for you to take breaks. It's okay for you to go to the bathroom alone. It's okay for you to have a bath. Mm-hmm. It's okay for you to do those little snippets of things that you need to do to kind of reconnect to yourself mm-hmm. and then help you to reconnect to your child. Because just like you said, it's a marathon. Yes. And throughout that, you have to take water breaks. Mm-hmm. You really, you really do. And, you know, if the piece of homework or the whatever doesn't get done. Eh, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Nope. No. And certainly here as therapists, it don't worry about us. We are never, ever judging a family for not doing a thing exactly. that we suggested could be a good thing to do. We get it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. It's not, not a problem. We're definitely not a group of shitters here. No. For sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> or ifs. Yeah. No. no. Yeah. Um, another area I wanted to talk about, because we're talking about families 
who have someone with Down syndrome in their life, but I want to talk about people with Down syndrome too, mm-hmm. um, particularly around grieving and bereavement for people with Down syndrome, because it does look remarkably different sometimes. It Can does. you describe it a little bit for us? I think when you're dealing with anyone with a developmental delay, they this is again coming back to that developmental age. Mm-hmm. So you may have someone who's 40 years old who's just lost their parent or mm-hmm. caregiver who's been their primary caregiver for most of their life. Mm-hmm. They've had to sometimes watch them go through an illness mm-hmm. or or just watch them get very old. Mm-hmm. And they've also sometimes had to jump into the role a little bit of caregiver in in some way, shape, or form. And so because we're meeting the developmental age, not the biological age, that really changes how it looks in grief because we anticipate that an adult is going to grieve like an adult. But that is not necessarily the case. If you are dealing with someone who is developmentally approximately 15, Mm -hmm. they're going to be entirely peer-based in how they want to deal with their loss. Mm -hmm. So they would want to connect with friends about it. They would want to go and do stuff, but never actually talk about it. Mm -hmm. Be around people who are going to understand what it feels like. And every now and then maybe make a shout out like, oh yeah, my dad died or, you know, my mom, Mm -hmm. my mom's really sick, but that's all they want to say. Yeah. Because that's a very adolescent based view of grief. Whereas if you're dealing with someone who's developmentally younger, they're going to do the puddle jump, which is uh, something that we say in grief where they basically jump into the puddle, they get covered in water and then they jump out and they're fine. Mm -hmm. And that's something kind of that overwhelming, they jump in the puddle, they're soaking wet. It's a very overwhelming, they might be crying, they may be having some big behavioral outbursts and then all of a sudden they're done. Mm-hmm. That's a very we see that a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a very common thing that you see with puddle jumping and with with young loss mm-hmm. is that they will kind of do that. <laughs> and parents are often like, "What do I do? Mm-hmm. How do I how do I move them through this?" And really, it all comes down to one of the main things that I've seen with any child, adult, adolescent is a big structure of empathic validation. Mm. And I can give you guys a couple books that I think really walk people through it really nicely. That'd be perfect. Um, but one of them is, so basically the framework around that validation is to say, yeah, you, you look really angry. And then you give a because of why. And mm-hmm. you guess why they're angry. You don't just say, you're angry, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. When we do that, we don't actually validate. Mm-hmm. We need to actually get that because you miss your mom or because it's not fair that they're not here anymore or because you want to go and do bake sales on mo- on the Mother's Day, but that feels wrong for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that validation piece is the piece that we find that really helps to kind of bring a lot of those behaviors down. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you move into that empathic lens of, we're going to get through this. What should we do together? Can we have a cup of tea? Can we go for a walk? Can we draw something together? You know, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go kayak? Um So that is something that when they are grieving, it is often something that you have to really meet that developmental lens. And it can change. It can change big time. Can you talk about what it looks like when somebody's more of a physical communicator? So maybe they themselves don't have many words that they can use to communicate. Um, But so maybe they're maybe they're nonverbal or Mm non-speaking or maybe they don't have a huge vocabulary to draw from so you might you might guess that they're grieving um, based on the circumstance and you might be seeing some behavior 
Yeah. How do you meet somebody where they're at if that's the kind of sort of communicator they are? So they might not understand, you know, I see you're angry because, you know, mm-hmm. dad's passed away yeah. or something. Exactly. I love that you said meet people where they're at because I would say that that is the number one, if I could give anyone any type of guidance when it comes to grief and loss is meet that person where they are at. So exactly. If you have someone who's nonverbal or doesn't communicate verbally, don't necessarily try to communicate verbally with them mm-hmm. fully. You can obviously have some element of, of verbal component because a lot of them can hear and understand. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, right? It depends on the situation. Depends, yeah. um, so that is when I would say if they are acting physically, do something physical with them. It all comes down to if someone is angry and you say, calm down, how well does that go? <laughs> Not very well. Not very well. Mm-hmm. Right. So then meet them with some kind of healthy, angry energy. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, oh, yeah, we're really upset right now. Yeah. Let's go play basketball. Let's bounce this ball yeah, and fill let's their tank. Mm-hmm. Fill their tank. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's put all that anger into the basketball because we're feeling really mad. And anytime you're mad, come bounce that basketball really hard or scream into that pillow, mm-hmm. or go yeah. for a run, or go for a row. Like, let's find ways to get it out of the body. I can't express how important it is to get that loss feeling mm-hmm. out of your body, because our body holds it. Mm-hmm. There's a whole piece around our body keeps the score, and our body will it's remind us. It's a great <laughs> book. Really good book, yeah. It's a great book. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really how I function, is I'm definitely a mind-body therapist, and so I really emphasize getting those feelings mm-hmm out through some kind of activity mm-hmm. in whatever that looks like mm-hmm. for you and whatever functions. If your person, you know, if it's difficult to move to a new yes. space in the moment of grief, um, the angry dance party is yeah. one that I can recommend from personal experience with young children who go through these big highs yeah. and lows of emotion too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we crank the Lizzo and we Heck just yeah. let her rip. Um, and it <laughs> does, it. it does help. It Absolutely. Does. And like um, even joining in it, Oh yeah, them, right. Like it can't I'm just not the be audience. something no. you need to do, yeah. but like everyone is part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. mm-hmm. And I can give you a number of things. Like we have a turtle press, um, we have a hand what? press. Oh, there's a bunch of. <laughs> no, you guys can't see me, but I'm picturing a crepe shaped like a turtle. Pretty uh, much, what? pretty much. So basically, you you like kind of fold your body into a turtle and you squeeze everything, and then mm-hmm. you like explode out. Mm-hmm. Or there's like hand presses you can yes. do. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of like the prayer pose of yoga, if I had to describe it, where you're pushing on the palms. Of Absolutely. Your you're, and kind of putting all that pressure. Another one we like to do is to engage in tapping mm-hmm. in selective parts of the body. Mm-hmm. And the thing I love about tapping is that no one knows you're doing it. Mm-hmm. People just think you're you just like humming tap. along to a song and you yeah. can tap on your knees, yeah. you can tap on the collarbone, mm-hmm. yeah. you can tap somewhere on the face. And that can be really helpful in kind of tricking your body into kind of releasing those endorphins and releasing those hormones to kind of try and bring you down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Dance parties, anything that moves the body. Mm-hmm. 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 I, another thing with our students that I found interesting with grief is often they will, it takes them time to process it. So for a lot of them, it's like, you know, yes, my uncle died. And it's just a matter of fact at that point. And then A, it keeps coming up all the time, Mm -hmm. right? Like every couple of weeks, it has to be said again. So it's like, that's, correct me if I'm wrong, perhaps one way of them validating what happened or just because you're just like, you know, it's, they never get over it. No one ever really gets over it, but it's just interesting how it, needs to be constantly brought up in conversation again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this happened, you know, like yep. three months later, oh, this happened again. Yep. So, And then sometimes, 
and you know it's that it results in that angry outburst or that emotional mm. outburst where they just all of a sudden um just speaking from personally like i lost my sister when i was nine mm-hmm. people were like oh like you're not like you're not crying or anything but then when i was like in my early teens is when it hit right so to some very small level um and i obviously like was at a like a different like you know cognitive level but i it's just fascinating to see how it can reoccur but it that is perhaps their way of processing it it's just constantly and that's why we talk about how grief is a lifelong process is that you know you can lose someone when you're young and then all of a sudden you're a teen and you're just like whoa yeah Mm-hmm. what is this mm-hmm. and that's a very common phenomena that we see and so yes usually when they bring that up it's usually it's on their mind mm-hmm. they're looking for support in that moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they've gone into that place where they're looking for some element of support mm-hmm. um my brother does something very similar where every time i see him we talk about all the dead people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's his script he needs to run through that script with me and then he's okay. Yeah. Once he runs through that spot and he's like, yep, we're aware that everyone is still, no one came back. And I'm like, nope, they're all, they're all still dead, buddy. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, I miss them. And I'm like, I miss them too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we just sit there for a minute and we kind of have that moment and then he's okay. But that's his way of revisiting yeah. those pain parts for mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And we don't usually have any outbursts anymore because we've kind of figured out our flow and we figured out what he needs in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be something that kind of pops up. And usually they like to be very <laughs> open and very direct about it, which yeah. is, there's not a lot of that, oh, you know, this person, I lost this person. No, and people go, what language. do you mean yeah. lost? Nope, nope. They're going to tell okay. you exactly what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And to be clear, we see this around um, any relationship that had strong emotions with it so it could Definitely. be a pet it yep. could be absolutely. a grandparent true, yeah. a sibling a parent a teacher absolutely classmates we've seen mm-hmm. sometimes too mm-hmm. um so it yeah it's not limited to a certain form of relationship it's no. any relationship any relationship and it it can be confusing i've definitely been confused before um when a student or an adult that i you know spent time with has brought up somebody or a pet that i'm like I, I'm not sure if it just happened. Yeah. Like, was yeah. it last weekend or was it like 10 years ago? And really, I think that's not important necessarily. Um, no. But responding with keeping in mind that like, okay, this person's thinking about this loss right now is maybe the most useful thing than trying to like sleuth out. What yeah, do you mean? The details like just, don't matter. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Did yeah. The details happen? don't matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One You're of the things right. I like to do in those situations is I actually like to get them to tell stories about that person. Mm-hmm. I actually really like to kind of dive into that and say, you know, my uncle died. Oh, you must miss your uncle. Yeah. Hey, what did you guys used to do together? Mm-hmm. Did he cook for you? Did he, did you guys play sports? What did you guys do? What's your favorite memory? Mm-hmm. I like to ask them because what that's doing is really kind of feeding into that validation of I'm sad. I'm feeling sad about something. And then a lot of people will just label the emotion and move on instead of kind of leaning into that and giving them the time to actually mm-hmm. think about that person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, when you have kind of a, a more nonverbal element in that, you can also kind of engage in some of those things too dependent on on the person that you're with I mean you usually know that person well enough to know how they engage Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah kind of lean into that a little bit because it usually gives them the respect of of their memory and the respect of their experience Mm -hmm. in that situation Mm -hmm. 
timing can sometimes be a little difficult in that regard, but you know, it can be. Yeah. Nobody chooses their timing though. I think that's the thing, right? Exactly. Nobody chooses it. Yeah. Um, Let's talk a little bit about resources because we've kind of mentioned a few, but we would love to put a a long list of things on our episode page that might be helpful for families. Definitely. Um, So we've talked about Bessel van der Kroek's book, which is not intended for our people with Down syndrome, but maybe more for families. And that's the body keeps the score. More of a general information piece around how the body holds trauma and and grief and loss and kind of anything. And it it really applies to anyone with a body and a mind. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, are there other resources that you'd like to share? So kind of around that emotional validation piece, there's a book called What to Say to Kids When Nothing Seems to Work mm-hmm. um, by Adela France. Um, and I cannot recall the second author at this moment in time, um, but we can definitely link that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually gives a validation framework for parents to help support emotion. Okay. Um, that would That's be helpful. A, that would be a big one, and, and it'll give you step by step, step one, step two, step three. Um, it definitely is something that you can adapt kind of to yourself mm-hmm. and and as you need. But it really wa- excuse me, it really walks you through it very easily, mm-hmm. which is nice. I like it. Um, Lumara Society mm-hmm. um, is we have an annual bereavement camp. Mm-hmm. which I cannot tell you how wonderful it is. I know everyone thinks, I'm going to grief camp. That sounds terrible. It's so fun. We have so much fun. Mm-hmm. Just because it's it's about community and it's about bringing light to loss. And mm-hmm. it is about being with people who understand. You can talk about it. You can not talk about it. You can cry. You can do every single activity that we offer to you, but you're with people that get it. Mm-hmm. And it's and we also do provide individual counseling as well as group-based work mm-hmm. for circles of strength. We have a ton of workshops, so if people are looking for supportive circles or anything along those lines, we have a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, I'm just trying to think. I have a couple of books that I can give you and recommend around mm-hmm. how to talk about grief yeah. with kids. Mm-hmm. I have some of those that are um, dependent on kind of the developmental age. I can give you a bunch of those books. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Samantha, we hugely appreciate you coming today. I think this topic is often overlooked because people are so afraid of it and they don't want to talk about it. And we're really glad that we had a chance to Mm -hmm. get into it with you today. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you. The Lowdown, a Down Syndrome podcast, can be found on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today so you never miss an episode. And let us know what you think by leaving a rating and a review. Be sure to visit the webpage for this episode at dsrf.org slash podcast for additional resources related to the topic. You can also follow DSRF Canada on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for updates from the Lowdown and the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation. Want to know more about Down Syndrome? Class is now in session at DSRF's online learning portal powered by Thinkific. Users have called DSRF's resource brilliant, fantastic, and absolutely first class. Now, our educational platform puts these tools right at your fingertips. Start with our free introductory course Down Syndrome 101. 
or dive deep into the issue that matters most to you by enrolling in subjects like mental health or relationships and sexuality for people with Down syndrome. Each course guides user through video, audio, and written resource to help you better understand and support the person in your life with Down syndrome. All courses and subscriptions include access to the DSRF circle of support. Through this social community, users can interact and learn from one another and engage directly with DSRF. So, what are you waiting for? Class is about to begin, and there's an empty desk just for you. Visit dsrf.org slash thinkific to sign up today. Got questions? We have answers. 321's Canada's Down Syndrome magazine brings leading-edge expertise from Canada's top Down Syndrome professionals, as well as parents and people with Down Syndrome, direct to your inbox four times per year. Brought to you by the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation and Canadian Down Syndrome Society. 321 tackles issues important to people with Down syndrome and their families at every stage of life. From mental and physical health and development, relationships, employment, independence, and more, we will equip you to explore whatever your future holds. 321 Magazine, information and inspiration for Canada's Down syndrome community. Download the latest issue and describe for free at dsrf.org slash magazine. The Lowdown, the Down Syndrome Podcast, is a production of Down Syndrome Research Foundation. Learn more at dsrf.org and join the conversation at DSRF Canada on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The Lowdown is hosted by... Marla Fordan and Hannah Mahmood and it's produced by Glenn Hughes. The Lowdown theme music and just do was written and recorded by Rick Scott.